0: Everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling, the final one of this year. And what a year it has been! Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening and for the feedback you've been giving me. I do love to hear from you, so drop me an email at at smashingtheceilinggmail.com if you've got any comments or guest suggestions. I'm also getting set up with a website which will be up and running really soon in the new year. That'll be at smashingtheceiling.com, so keep an eye on that for developments. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers. Those who have got a really cool or unusual job and some who have just had really interesting lives. Each week I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how did their mentors, motivations and mistakes lead them to achieve the things that they have? This week's show is a little different to usual, so if you're a first-time listener, then don't worry. I'll be back with a fantastic guest next week, and she really is fantastic. But today we're taking a little look back at 2018, and I'm going to tell you a bit about four very different women from the worlds of business, politics, culture, and sport that you may or may not have heard of, but who have had a big impact on the year in one way or another, and whose influence may continue to be felt into the new year. This is just going to be a really brief rundown on each of these women. I'll give you some more information at the end, but let's get into it and get started. So starting in the boardroom, I do love a good suit after all. Sasha Romanovich is a remarkable woman and three years ago had become the first female chief executive of a top five accountancy firm in the city of London when taking the helm at Grant Thornton. This is a feat and she remains the only woman to have held the chief exec role in the London accountancy world. As we discussed with Iona Bain really early on in this podcast series, the world of finance and accounting is classically seen worldwide as very male, very white, and in the upper echelons at least, the epitome of the old boy network. So it's fair to say that Romanovich had taken things by storm somewhat in London. She is comfortable public speaking, she holds a room brilliantly, she's engaging, colourful and articulate. But the reason I've included her today is not for all the fantastic things she has achieved, which undoubtedly she has. But as a frustrating indicator that despite the best efforts of so many women, the top jobs in finance, even if you get one, are incredibly hard to hold on to. Sasha is an example of the tenacity required in the face of opposition from the old guard, as the Financial Times refers to those around her. In September this year an anonymous employee at Grant Thornton, sent a lengthy memo to the press attacking her leadership and disclosing details of Sasha's confidential performance review in a bid to undermine and embarrass her. Whilst leaks to the press are common in politics, this sort of behaviour is rare in the business world and shows a degree of vitriol that must have been so difficult to stomach. In response, Romanovich merely posted a video on Twitter of Serena Williams' reading Still I Rise, the poem by Maya Angelou that has inspired generations since its publication. A month later, however, Romanovich resigned her position as CEO, despite 88% approval ratings from staff at the company, and after having gone on record to say that she wished to stand for a second four-year term at the top. She had endeavoured to create a family-friendly workplace with more equal values, capping her own salary in the process and had spoken out on mental health at work, childcare, and the importance of actually taking a holiday and switching off from work when you're away. The headline in The Guardian on this read, City female boss quits, and the chap's sigh relief, the old system grinds on. And this is sort of how it feels, really. Whatever the underlying reasons for her departure, and there's a whole other storyline about the performance of the company in general and the opposition of the board to her principles and methods. Her ousting seems like a retrograde step and questions in the press were asked about whether a man would have been treated so harshly and with such contempt by colleagues. I mention often on this podcast that you can't be what you can't see and we need more women at the top in the financial sector to encourage, mentor and motivate those following behind them. In New York, there are two female CEOs at the top flight accountancy firms, with Kathy Engelbert at Deloitte and Lynn Doughty at KPMG, but there is such a long way to go. Fingers crossed that there's another strong woman waiting in the wings when the next top role comes up in 2019. We're going to cross the pond next and head to New York City to talk about a politician who really made waves in 2018 and will definitely be a name to watch for the future. Somehow, I don't think that this podcast is listened to by many Trump supporting Republicans, let's be honest. But if there are any, hi, lovely to have you on board. But whatever your politics, the monumental rise of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has caught the eye of many people this year. And she is being tipped to be a major force in American politics in the future. Alexandria was born in the Bronx in New York to Puerto Rican parents. And when she takes office on January 3rd, 2019, she'll be the youngest person ever elected to the House of Representatives as a congresswoman at the age of just 29. When she ran for the Democratic Party nomination in June this year, she took on Joe Crowley, a seasoned politician and congressman for over 18 years. Her campaign video opened with the words Women like me aren't supposed to run for office. But through running a grassroots campaign in the community, she caused an enormous upset by defeating Crowley and winning the opportunity to become a congresswoman herself in the midterm elections in November, which she duly did. The New York Times described her defeat of Crowley as the most significant loss for a Democratic incumbent in more than a decade and one that will reverberate across the party and the country. Ocasio-Cortez also won her campaign with a very restricted budget, spending $194,000 compared to Crowley's $3.4 million. She is now the face of a new, young generation of progressive politicians who are doing it very differently in the US. As she said, you can't beat big money with more money, you have to beat them with a totally different game. Like Barack Obama, Alexandria previously worked as a community organiser which gave her the belief that politics was not necessarily reliant on wealth, social influence or power, and gave her the courage to stand for office. Despite a lack of experience and seniority, Ocasio-Cortez has an enormous social media following and a notoriety that comes from scalping a seasoned pro. In an age where celebrities become politicians and politicians are celebrities, commentators suspect that this will provide her with significant influence that other new politicians are rarely able to command in the House. And some are already tipping her as a future Democratic presidential candidate. Watch this space. She is one for the future. Next, culture. I really ummed and odd about this one. I would definitely give a nod to author and journalist Elizabeth Day, whose podcast How to Fail is a brilliant listen that I would encourage you to check out. She herself has spoken openly about her personal life, including the breakdown of her marriage to the eminent BBC economics editor Kamal Ahmed, and the pressure that that their struggles conceiving a child had on their relationship. Another contender was rapper, musician and television star Cardi B. She's very famous to most people under the age of 25, but despite my increasing age, I am also a fan of her music and her story. Cardi B worked as a stripper to earn sufficient money to extricate herself from a controlling and emotionally abusive relationship before investing everything she earned and forging a career via Instagram and reality television into the music industry. Now with seven Grammy nominations under her belt, she is a bona fide superstar, empowering young women and unapologetically embracing her past. She has said, People want me to be full of shame that I used to dance, but I would never be ashamed of it. I made a lot of money and it showed me a lot. It made me open my eyes about how people are, how men are, about hunger, passion and ambition. She speaks a lot about equality in the music industry and is a feminist icon for the younger generation. She's quite the tour de force and is not going anywhere. But the person I have actually gone for in this category is Farah Store. Since being appointed editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine in 2015, Storr has increased its circulation by a whopping 59%. She inherited a magazine with, as she describes it, a massive team, a massive heritage, and a former editor beloved by the team. She was shunned when she got there, and almost 80% of the team resigned within three months of her arrival. But Faristor is made of tough stuff, and has cited her Pakistani father, Javed, in instilling her with the drive and work ethic she needed to succeed. She had launched Women's Health from scratch previously, achieving sales of nearly 100,000 copies for the debut issue. And she continues to rebuild Cosmo from being a sex tips and naked centerfolds magazine to one that she considers synonymous with empowerment in action, making real change to people's lives. After three years at Cosmo and a great deal of success recognized within her industry, 2018 has really been the year in which Farah has hit the big time with the release of her debut book, The Discomfort Zone. After huge press interest, a TED talk and an address at the Cambridge Union, unsurprisingly, this book has been a huge hit. Store talks about how the human body and mind are made for discomfort. And when put under pressure, contrary to popular opinion, we do not break and actually many people will thrive. Through interviews, science and rigorous journalistic writing, Farah explores how successful people stretch and grow themselves by placing themselves in uncomfortable situations. There is immense satisfaction in pushing yourself into the face of challenge and even greater joy when you realise you have the strength to do it, she writes. It's fascinating stuff. One of the other things that marks Farah Storr out is her willingness to shatter the illusion previously propagated by the very magazine she edits that women can have it all. Store publicly begs to differ, talking openly about how the fallacy of women having it all creates damaging pressure. And that although you can do it all to an extent, in her opinion, something always has to give. She loves her dogs and her garden and speaks eloquently about the peace she feels with their decision, no longer needing to justify herself constantly to other people that she meets. I love that she talks so openly about this and that by getting on the front foot, she has avoided some of the flack that other powerful and influential women get on this subject. I'm looking forward to hearing more from her in 2019. And finally, sport. Just before Christmas, we had our first Olympian on the podcast. And I've chosen another Olympic athlete, one from the Winter Olympics this time, as my under the radar sporting icon of the year. The Super G skiing at the Winter Olympics is basically comparable to the 100 meters on the track. It is the blue riband event of any championships. And the undisputed favourite for the women's event in South Korea this year was the American Lindsay Vaughn, winner of four world championships and a previous Olympic gold medal. She's pretty good, really. Esther Ledecker, on the other hand, had never been in the top three at a single World Cup event, let alone got near winning a championship. She's 23, hails from the Czech Republic, and was a massive outsider for this event, ranked 49th in the world prior to the Games. Von had made a mistake in her run, and the lead was actually held by Austrian Anna Wieth, also a previous gold medal winner. Many news organisations had actually declared Veth the winner, as it seemed impossible that any other athlete would be capable of breaking her time. But in a massive shock, Ledecka did, by 0.01 seconds, on a pair of skis that she had borrowed from another athlete just before the event. The look of absolute pure disbelief on her face, and that of everyone in the crowd watching, was such a moment in sport. I happen to be watching it on telly and it is one of the things that will certainly stick with me from this year. But what makes this story even more remarkable than a classic underdog upset is that skiing is not actually Ledecka's primary sport. That is snowboarding and a week later she went on to comfortably take a second gold medal in the snowboard giant slalom, becoming the first person ever to win two Olympic gold medals in two different sports at the same Games. Yes, they both involve snow, and you may think they're pretty similar, but they're really not. One journalist compared it to winning a medal playing tennis and then playing badminton at the same Summer Olympics. The theory may be similar, but the strategy and technique are completely different. What I really love about Ledeca's story, though, is that the reason she never gave up skiing to focus on snowboarding was her pure love of it. Snowboarding was always her main event but she adored skiing in equal measure and continually refused the advice of others that felt that they knew what was best for her. She followed her own gut instinct that she could master both disciplines despite it never being done before and that as long as she continued to enjoy her training she would continue as she wished. Eventually she found a coach that supported and nurtured that thinking and the rest is now history. Esther Ledecker is such a brilliant example of following your own dreams and carving your own path. And she is exactly the type of woman that I love on this podcast. So that's just a super quick rundown on these four women. If you're interested, I'll pop some links about Sasha Romanovich, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Faristor, and Esther Ledecker in the show notes so you can read a little bit more about them online. And let me know your thoughts on these women that I chose. Who would you have picked as 2018's Under the Radar Women of Influence? Send answers on an email or via Instagram or Twitter, please. We'll be back next week with Jamie Coleman, a top trauma surgeon from the US who is talking about her career, how she got there, how she writes for the Huff Post, and all the other things that she does in addition to saving lives on a weekly basis. She is super cool and I cannot wait to bring you that. Thanks for listening though, guys. I really do appreciate it. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And please, please, please leave us a nice review for the new year on iTunes as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling. And we'll hopefully see you next week.